And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to a special edition of Two True Freaks, where we're actually, well, we still have our Star Trek podcast with Listen to the Prophets for Deep Space Nine, but I haven't been doing a Star Trek podcast in two years now when we were doing Star Trek Monthly Monday, but it's obviously it's Star Trek time. There's a, a new TV show out. There's a fake Star Trek TV show out, and I have just received a new Star Trek book, which is, this is going to sound kiss-assy, but this is going right on the top of my Star Trek, favorite Star Trek books. And on top of that, the author lives a five-minute bike ride, and actually we both took that five-minute bike ride today because he thought he was meeting at my house, and I thought I was meeting at his house, and we probably crossed bicycle paths on the way here, but now we're here at his house, and... Uh, this is uh, Zach Auburn. Hey, how's it going? And uh, you have just stolen the line <laughs> of my podcasting partner, Scott Gardner, who starts every podcast with, hey, how's it going? Um, you can't tell his... this is a very good prosthetic. I <laughs> if, if Scott Gardner could squeeze into that prosthetic <laughs> convincingly, I would be really impressed. You're, you're about a three quarters of a Scott Gardner. <laughs> Um, I, it's very, I'm not a big fan of Star Trek books. Yeah. Like fiction novels and stuff like that. I don't, don't read, I read a few of them when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but it's, it's hard for me to, to, I've got boxes of them at home that I know that I'll, I'll never read, but I like the nonfiction behind the scenes stuff. I like the, you know, biography of Gene Roddenberry or how they production stories or the fake Nonfiction Star Trek, where it's like technical manuals, right? And right. Here's here's all the here's all the uniforms and stuff like that. I love stuff like that. This is somewhere in between all of that. This this book, um, it, it's called A Field Guide to the Aliens of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and it's pretty much that. This book pushes all my book buttons and all my Star Trek, but it pushes a lot of my buttons. Um, it pushes my found art button. I love finding things that people have made that maybe they, uh, and there's an element of that. Well, actually, before we get going, uh, maybe you want to explain the, the premise story of, of your book. Yeah. Um, so the book started out as a series of six zines. Um, the first zine was written by Joshua Chapman, or purportedly written by Josh, Joshua Chapman, a seventh grader uh, in 1990 who is writing about the aliens of Star Trek for a class project, an extra credit writing assignment for his English class. Um, 
and it's just about all the aliens. But you know, as he writes it, um, a lot of details of his personal life bleed through. Um, the thing, sort of the the idea behind the project was one day while biking home from work, I was thinking about a uh, scene from the Kurt Vonnegut novel Sirens of Titan? No, Cat's Cradle. Um, where there's a guy on a plane who is a professional indexer and on the plane he's reading someone else's book who they've, they've indexed themselves and by reading the index he can tell that this person is a closeted homosexual just from the way they've indexed the book. And I started thinking about people telling stories that they don't mean to tell. Yes. Um, yes. And that I was thinking about, like, what what are things I can do with that format? And I thought about, like, oh, maybe like I would have a book of re like receipts that I had pulled out of like a garbage can that like when like displayed in sequential order would like tell the story of relationship. Different ways I could like play on that format. And eventually, I thought of kids and how you know if kids cannot help but talk about the thing that they're interested in you know if you get a kid who is really into dinosaurs and you ask the kid to tell you about Abraham Lincoln the kid is going to start talking about the Diplodocus because they're both very tall yes um, yes so you know this is a kid talking about Star Trek because he loves Star Trek but also he has a pretty unhappy home life yeah, yeah. and that can't help but bleed through and then so you know the first issue was him at age 11 second issue was the second season of the show him at age 12 12 and so on and so forth until by the end he is a very very unhappy angry suicidal teenager listening um, to nine inch nails and... listening to nine inch nails and tool uh, yeah doing all the things teenagers did in 1996 um, but also still and I like the realistic touches of where he's like, I still like Nine Inch Nails, but this tool band, uh -huh. <laughs> something going on with this tool band. I've seen I've seen that process happen with right. people a lot. Right. Um, that yeah. That there's there's a lot of details from my life peppered in there, yes. even if I am not now, actually I, Joshua Chapman. I want what I want to know <laughs> is how much of your opinions on these aliens. Are, were you drawing from your own opinions or were you totally character acting Joshua Chapman because I agree with a lot of the <laughs> they were they were definitely I've had an exaggerated version of my opinions at that age I did not hate Troy quite that with much with that much passion um, but I really didn't like Troy as a character and like you know, rewatching the shows I as an adult it. you know I've I've learned like it's not that I hate Troy. It's the way that I hate the way they wrote her the, character. The, that they had no idea what they were doing. That really, she's just you know, in the same way that like for the early seasons, Worf's just there to yeah. show an alien is strong, but we're going to beat up Worf. Troy is just there to show that an alien is mysterious. I can't read these aliens, and yes. therefore, yeah, that's her only purpose. Yeah, that, that, and to get like sexually assaulted by sex, psychic aliens, which also happens. And, a whole lot on that show. Yeah, and she just generally sort of rolls with it almost yeah. every time. Yeah, but um, that was one of the my, my my friend Scott and I on our podcast. You know, after after a couple episodes of hating on Troy, we started realizing 
Yeah, this is the writer's fault. They right. really, you have, the potential of that character is amazing, almost to the point of where she could become almost too useful of a character. Right. So instead they almost made her the most useless character ever to where she was like, I've had, I've ha I had some pretty bad school counselors, but I've had some school counselors that were more empathetic right. than Counselor Troy, you know, that, mm -hmm. uh, that just used their regular, you know, reading a body language to figure out what was going on like a regular counselor I, I you know you would rarely see them use that that singular talent that she has that has put her in that place it was a very strange it's funny to think how it must work on other starships because it's not like all of the mm -hmm. counselors on all the ships are betazoid so most ships they just have a human who's like, you know, knows some stuff about psychology, sitting next to the captain, trying to guess at what the Klingons are thinking. And back, I mean, old drunk McCoy used to do a better job, yeah. I, I, I think, a, a lot of times. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I was having a riot. That's the fun thing about it is when I first got the book and got all excited about it and started reading it, I went right up onto my Facebook page for, for our podcast, and I'm like, I love this book. It's hilarious because I'm only like five pages uh -huh. in, and basically, it, and it was pushing a lot of buttons for me because there's another podcast where I'm I, I like comic books, but I'm not a big superhero comic book fan. I like the undergrounds, indie stuff right. more, and like even like kitty comics, old kitty comics more than that, and all the people that I work with on the podcast, they're Superman, Batman, you uh -huh. know, they're they're hardcore superhero. And they mock me all the time, so I said, have a segment where you guys give me a superhero comic that you think that I'm going to like, or you, that I think I should like, or should read, and I'll read it, and I'll do a review. But I started doing the review more as if I was 5th, 6th, 7th grader mm -hmm. doing a class report. Right. So, so I would write it in not the greatest sentence structure, and then I would read it awkwardly. So... Reading the first few pages of the book, I was out, I could almost hear how it was supposed to be right. read uh -huh. out loud, and it was just cracking me up. And um, it definitely helps that I wrote it in cursive too. Yes, yes, and that's another thing I love. Well, I'm a big fan of found. I, I once right down the street from my house, I found a box full of prison letters. Uh huh. A young, probably 22, 23 year old black kid and his family and he was definitely involved in a gang or crime mm -hmm. activity of some sort because there was a lot of coded messages hmm. coming through you know so and so says this and, and and it was just obviously you know and and sometimes it would be followed with you know what that means or <laughs> you know what to th you know what he means by that or something like that you know so, and he was getting and losing girlfriends while he was in jail mm -hmm. and family members were, you know, getting on board and getting off board. And it was, it was fascinating. It was mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of letters and, and it took me like a couple of years to work through Jeez. it because I was just slowly, slowly going through it. But I love finding stuff like that. You know, I can't tell you how many times, I don't know if this is unusual or just because I go through garbage more than other people that you find like naked pictures of people and uh -huh. stuff like that and and you see like oh okay there's an X or whatever and you're, you're sort of putting together the idea of their lives and um, 
uh, my roommate Trudy actually had, I think, I don't know if she had all six copies of the zine, but she had at least the first three. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of hanging around our house. And I love, I love zines too. I love handmade art put out just sort of mysteriously to, for you to figure out. Right. And um, I think I'd read the first three, so I hadn't gotten into the story aspect of it, but I mm-hmm. loved it just as a physical object of like, uh, somebody's pretending to be a seventh grader right. doing this. But it t- takes on another level when they're all reprinted in the context of someone found these zines and then tracked down right. the, the author of them. And, and then there's the physical, just the presentation of the book. The way, as soon as I saw the cover, first, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if it does this to you too, but Star Trek font puts me in my happy place. Like, right, as yes. vi- Visually, aesthetically, especially if it's the right colors on the right background, uh-huh. it just makes me happy to see that font. And so that font's on there, but right above it is a field guide to the aliens of and I don't know if it's exactly the right font for a field guide manual book, but mm-hmm. it's in the it's in the right wheelhouse and the the colors of it. So it looks like it's got that element of an actual field guide to the physical book. So it's a just a handsome looking book. It's got yeah. some heft to it. Yeah, it's and it's like got the glossy really like... pages like a field guide, and that they sort of flop open like it's bound like a field guide, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I, I, I love the presentation of you have an introduction. This is, this is, we found these and we got a hold of the guy. Um, I think the thing that ties it all together, and is this something you wrote for the book, was the interview with, uh, I did, yeah. with him at the end. I think that really ties the whole thing together and adds another layer to the... the, the I, it was before we started recording we were talking about the reviewer who gave it a glowing review and then got angry afterwards because they found out it wasn't real yeah and uh and i think probably that that interview at the end was the the cementing the realness of it and right. and and i like how the review sort of does what the the books do on a on a smaller level of you know it reveals a little bit more mm-hmm. of him but at the same time, and actually, it was the last chapter with all the sort of fill-in aliens, the aliens that he film, wrote as an adult. Also new. That yeah. was also new. That that helped a lot too, and I thought that was even greater because you could read in that that he was aware that okay, some people got a hold of my stuff. Right. They made a big deal out of it. It's. All a really, it reminds me of somebody I know actually who's a really great artist who is totally agoraphobic, totally not amenable to humans at all. You know, when he's around a group of people, you can see, see him sitting there going, Man, everybody's just so <laughs> stupid. Oh my god, did they just say that? You know, and uh, and and I would, I would do some like musical projects with him every once in a while but talking to him about anything that he'd done in the past that I'd listened to and you could tell he was just like oh yeah I know you like this yeah but it came from an awful place and I don't want to talk about you know and there was a there was a certain there was just one point where he asked where you said something to him and he said okay yeah (laughs) and Uh, that that totally brought that person back to me and and 
there's so much in this that personally and and I'm 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 older so you know I I was an adult I was in college freshman year I remember when I saw Encounter at Far, when Encounter mm-hmm. at Farpoint came out but and and but I was basically just listening you know the the point of like, ah, I met some new friends and they're playing music for me mm-hmm. and uh, you know the way pe- the 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 way that when you're bullied in high school or you're sort of a, a nerdy kid at, you, and you'll find something like Star Trek to cling on to mm-hmm. or to focus on that like is good this I, I in my in my pretentious review on like just sort of quick review on my two true freaks page I told everybody this is my blurb for the back of the note this this is the most two true freaks thing I've seen <laughs> that's not two true freaks because it has the, just that that story of how people will will find and someone who's and it's usually someone who's intelligent and imaginative will find something like Star Trek to just keep them <laughs> keep anchor them, them to, anchored to sanity yeah and uh and this this is a little more extreme but then at the same time i knew people like this guy i knew people mm-hmm. had really shitty conditions at home and and something and just having that to to cling on to and also like um yeah with our podcast the focus isn't as much on you know Let's talk about how the Star Trek episode was made, and here's all the trivia details of it, because all that stuff is just sort of out there in spades. On the, It's more about how this affected me in the context of when I saw it, and, right. you know, and how I made friends, because we both were what, liking these kinds of movies and stuff. And uh, this book just falls squarely into that, that area. I almost want to. I almost want to make an audio book out of it. I think it would be a fantastic audio book. There, it... there might be an audio book coming. Um, I know there's some audio book publisher that's talking to my publisher about putting something out. Um, you don't. You really don't need to see the aliens for the most part to get the book. No, no. So. He, he, he. As a matter of fact, the 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 descriptions of them are are beyond the picture right. you don't need the picture of them you know right. i mean and if you're a big star trek fan anyway you already got the picture in your head and if you're just a casual listener they probably don't care like just if they see a picture of the right. alien or not and it's probably more funny to have somebody who doesn't know what the aliens look like put them together in their head mm-hmm. by this guy's right this description so it was weird it was weird when they suggested that to me because you know, I spent a long time trying to get the look of zines just right. You know, when I, yeah, I mentioned the first issue is all done in cursive. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't written in cursive in about twenty years when I wrote that. So that the helps. Cursive, the cursive looks like a seventh grader. Cursive. It sure does. And then the once, drawings. <laughs> and then once I got to doing the end of that first issue, because I'd been writing in cursive so much, it was improving. I was like, I can't. I have to have it be consistent so before I started like writing out you know the actual entries I would have to like write just nonsense and cursive for like half an hour to get my hand tired enough that it would look bad again um, and then all the <laughs> images in the book um, you know because it was 
supposedly done pre-memory alpha, um, I took photos of my TV. I would put Star Trek on the TV and I would take a photo of it and I would have the camera using the wrong setting and then I would print that out because that's how he would have had to do it. Yeah. You know, in the past yeah. he would have had to like take a Polaroid of his TV in order to like get the photos of the aliens in there. Um, you know, the first issue is done is handwritten. The second issue was with a dot matrix printer. The third, mm -hmm. uh, fourth and fifth issues, I actually looked at some of my old report cards from when I was in high school um, and I identified what the font was so I could like, you know, have like the font that you would get from yes. a high school, you know, from a public school printer. Yes. Um, and at, at that era. And, you know, I made all the zines, they have like tape lines in them, you know, copyright is spelled wrong. I wanted them to look authentic. Like it's incredibly important to me whenever I'm doing any of my zines to have it look authentic looking. You know, I have um, one book I did, Love is Not Constantly Wondering If You're Making the Biggest Mistake of Your Life, which is a memoir style to look like a choose your own adventure novel. Um, I spent about nine months working on that, getting the look just right. Just on the, like, not on the writing part, just on the, like, all right, let's look at the kerning on this. Let's look at what yes. the fonts are. Let's look at how the cover is, like, laid out to the millimeter. Um, I have uh, another book, um, How to Talk to Your Cat About Gun Safety. I got to get that. Uh, yes, I, I've actually seen both. I forgot about the Choose Your Own Adventure book, but, uh -huh. yeah, the, 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 now there's two. There were two of them that were in zines, right? And they're all in the one book. So there's just the one Choose Your Own Adventure. The cat ones, there were it's three cat... Three. There were three cat zines, that, and then the book version of it, uh, which was published by Random House last year, um, there are eight total. I wrote five new ones for that, and I expanded the original. But so when I was doing the original ones, um, you know, I was thinking, like... Because they're, like, little, like, sort of, like... pro brochures that you would get from like NRA so like you know I was like oh these things would like they would have a full bleed on them but you can't get that like just you know making copies that yeah Kinko's so I would hand trim all of them like you know and I was making like 300 at a time and I'd have to like sit there trimming them all and it was huge pain in the butt um but yeah anything you gotta do it for art though yeah anything I make I I need it to look authentic because um, I feel like, you know, if I'm going to put something, if I'm going to have, like, a book exist in the physical world, it has to sort of justify being a book and not being, like, you know, on someone's Kindle. I want someone to like, yes. pick this up and feel like it's a physical this object. Is, this is something yes. special by me holding it. Um, I've often thought about doing a podcast about books just as objects. Right. Just like the objectified book where it's like, not really talking about the content in it. Uh-huh. Because so I have books that I can't even read. They're in another language mm -hmm. that are some of my favorite books because just the materials, the way they put it together, the the look of it, you know, that just, yeah. I, I could sit there and pour through it all day right. without even knowing what I was, was looking for because right. it's just such it's so a interesting. great thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so... When I was doing the book, you know, I knew it was going to be just a glossy, like a normal looking book. And I was like, how can I 
make people still have that same feeling they had when they picked up the zines because you know I had so many people like come up to me at like you know zine festivals and say like I had no idea these weren't like really written like I'm so disappointed to find out this was written by you but also very excited but also disappointed but I'm like which is fine I'm honored that they were fooled um, it's all so, part of it that all, all part makes of it, it yeah. part of it yeah. right so I knew that like you know when I made the book version I had to have something else because you just can't like have you know the zines as they were in a book and have it like be believable yeah. and that's why I added in the twist of me finding the zines yes. that were written by Joshua Chapman in 1990 and I didn't actually write the zines and I had the interview at the end so that people would have that same feeling of like is this real which is yeah, and it evoked always... some of my favorite '90s stuff, which was like there was a magazine called um, um, Apology, mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, it started in the '90s. It's still going now. The Found magazine, okay, people yeah. just print found stuff. Apology was a guy. He had an art project where he had a phone line in New York City, mm -hmm. and uh, you know this was this was back in the early '80s into maybe like 90 and you could dial uh, I don't know if it was a it was I think it was an 800 number and you would get a loop of people who had put their apologies and mm. wanted to apologize for something and you could call up it was like a confessional booth mm -hmm. you would listen to a whole bunch of them and then it would beep and then you could leave your apology right on, onto the list for other people to listen to and then he started printing a zine where he was compiling them and mm -hmm. and putting them out and um it, it was just a because whole stories would you know he had people he had a guy who claimed to be a serial killer who was writing him mm -hmm. and stuff but then as you started the author never revealed himself he was just a new york city artist the final episode of the magazine was published by his wife uh -huh. he, he died he to this day, I'm not exactly sure. Did he die? Did he die, or if this was really him? And the last issue of it was half like the magazine that he'd put together up to that point, and and the story of his death was he was swimming and some it was a freak accident where someone hit him with a jet ski, mm -hmm. which sounds like a death. Like he's like, yeah, tell him I hate jet skis. Tell him I got <laughs> hit by a jet ski, but you know, but. Then there was a retrospective of his work and his sculptures and his life and friends talking about him and you know now we can finally say who Mr. Apology was, and to this day, I'm not really sure. Was it real? Was it yeah. real? That the apologies were real because you could go to New York City. I remember going to New York City about 1988, uh -huh. and uh, and seeing the sticker on on a payphone and going, uh -huh. oh, let's let's call this, and right. then listening to a bunch of of apologies from anywhere from like I stole two dollars from my mom's mm -hmm. purse to I'm having sex with my neighbor's dog and stuff like that it was unbelievable um, but uh, yeah this, this this pushed all those buttons right. and, and you know I don't know I guess I'm an artist guy so I don't care if it turns out that something's real fake real fake mm -hmm. That just makes it all the more interesting, right. and it's like oh, I want to trace it back to see why you know it. It just adds more layers to it, but um, 
I find it funny that there's still people that would get offended right. these days by being deceived by media when you have um, reality TV. Right. Everybody should know at this point. Well, so one of my huge influences on this project was Linda Berry. Mm. Um, and she has a term, uh, autobiofictionography, which is pretty much the genre I tend to work in. And it's fairly... Yes, my mom was not awful. Yes, I am not Joshua Chapman, but that does not mean the things that in this is my this is the question true. you just reminded me of. One of, has your mom read this book yet? Yes, she has. Okay, what I, did she I think? So for a long time, everything I did was anonymous. I never put my name on on anything, and this was one of the reasons because I didn't want her picking up this, and because there are so many details from my childhood in right. this book. Um, right, but not the stuff with my mom. My mom is wonderful. Um, she is. She has read the book. She I've actually met your mom. Yeah, I'm sure. You, yeah, because her and Trudy are mm -hmm. BFFs. Um, no, she's totally cool with it. Um, and my mom's great. Not, not abusive at all. So thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks for not. Thanks for not abusing me. I appreciate it a lot. Um, but yeah, just because. Maybe if you'd written it under your name, she might have been a little more, uh, right. you know. Right. Or, Yeah, just because I'm not actually Joshua Chapman doesn't mean the book isn't real. Um, and as far as the whole, like, you know... Well, there's a lot of universal stuff right, in there right. for alienated youth or artistic youth or nerd youth or, or whatever, you know. There's a lot of it that's just sort of... The, the way he did... The, I... I, I I don't. I don't like spoiling stuff in the book, but I love the scene. Scene that when he's he's Entry. talking about the fight with with the bully, and he's just like, and then I got in trouble. The scratch mm -hmm. cornea, you know. That but that it's was his fault. That, that was not my that fault. was a true thing that happened to me. That was some kids. I have um, a friend who had a very similar situation. I was I was I was in seventh grade, and I was riding the school bus, maybe eighth grade, and. There's one of the school buses that had seatbelts, and kids were dropping the seatbelts onto my head, and I got sick of it. I just like took a swing at the kid, and somehow like didn't even hit him really, just like just barely grazed him. But I got their eye, yeah. and I scratched their cornea. The, and it's so similar to my friend's story, which was on a school bus, and it was, it was, uh, it was seat getting kicked from uh -huh. behind every right. day, months months years same person kicking yep. the seat and then finally you know he exploded yeah and then all of a sudden he's seen he has to go to talk to the church counselor every right. week you know because he's he's unstable and violent right <laughs> um there was a thing i heard a few years ago um that like sort of like the ideal right now for for most projects of a certain type is you want it to be a combination of funny, sad, beautiful, and weird. And if you can manage that, that's like really going to push all the buttons to make them something feel real and important and just like connect with people on like a super deep level. And like that's what I was going for with this. I think like that's why like so many people do A, get fooled by it in the first place and get so upset sometimes yeah. when they find out is because. You know, I somehow managed to write something that people can really connect to. 
I know. You, you, oh, you succeeded in, yeah. in spades. And now we get to the technical part of the show that I want to say this is available on Amazon. Is it available anywhere else? But it's Amazon. Um, is it going to be in stores? Or? Yeah, it's in stores. Um, it is a lot more in independent bookstores than, say, Barnes & Noble. Right. But there are some Barnes & Nobles that mm-hmm. carry it. Um, you know, Powell's, Skylight. You know, because, because this was a zine for so long, and because I tend to write zines more than I write just normal books, I have much better connections with independent bookstores than I do with, you know, the Barnes and Noble. Well, this also has a connection to Star Trek, which is also that's got some selling points. Some reach, to it, yeah. To, to, yeah. I, I know when I'm looking through a bookstore, if I see something, especially that size uh-huh. and that format, and it's got Star Trek on it. Right, I'm, I'm pulling not, that I'm off not and sure, looking at like where they're gonna file this one though. Like, does this go in the humor section? Does this go yeah. in the fiction section? Does this go in like the nonfiction media section? Um, it could go in young adult fiction, right? Although it's not specifically for young adults, although right. it just it involves a young adult. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting. I'll bet you they stick it with the Star Trek books. You know, just mm-hmm. out of I, that's maybe I might even stick it near like graphic novels or right. something like that if I was in a more selling it rather than properly you know putting it in its proper place yeah once in a while I'll, like at Zine Fest I'd have like you know a kid and a parent show up like you know like a 10 year old 12 year old kid and the parent be like oh look at this I'll get this for you and I'm like just to warn you <laughs> this gets real dark and there are a bunch of swears in there, but you know, if a parent is taking a kid to a zine fest, they're usually okay with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the kids probably growing up in a house with zines piled up. Right, right. I, I grew up. My my parents were readers of Coevolution Quarterly, which was a magazine. It was the magazine. It was the quarterly magazine version of the Whole Earth Catalog. If there's any old hippies out there, remember it was a big deal in the '70s. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a catalog of solar energy and you know just sort of forward-thinking stuff but in this magazine every month our crumb comics uh, this guy dan o'neill lots of underground comics and they would have like 10 pages of underground comics mm-hmm. in it six years old and i was like "Ooh!" first thing i flipped to is the comic section it's our crumb with big butts and right. you know they didn't cut anything out so I feel that I turned out okay. Some people might dispute that. I, I'll say things like, oh, the first book I read was Animal Farm. I read Naked Lunch at like 10 years old mm-hmm. and stuff. And, I'm like, and I'll say, but I turned out okay. And that's when my friends will just sort of go like, yeah, if you say so, man. <laughs> um, but yes, Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on wherever you normally buy books. I like to push the Amazon because we have an Amazon link. So Yeah, like, yeah. So if get, you want to put so a referral get, link get, up get there. Get our three cents off yeah, each copy of your book, it. you know. <laughs> it, yeah, that would be great because I normally like push like Powell's. And as a result, like I don't have any reviews on Amazon because everyone I know, I say like, go review my book, everyone. And they do, but not on Amazon because I tell them to buy them other places. So. Now, the, the cat book, that you were saying that was Random House? Yes. Did that end up? Did you end up getting more exposure and more bookshelf space because it was Random House? Well, yeah, because the, when I was guys? selling them as zines, like they never well, sold yeah, on it's, Amazon. It's, they never sold in like anywhere. Well, well I mean, than, say compared to the Star Trek book that's on a smaller publisher. Oh, um, 
it definitely got more yeah it's in a lot more the the cat book how to talk to your cat about gun safety is definitely in a lot more places which i also highly recommend that book is hilarious the star trek book you know just came out two weeks ago so you know got to give it a little bit of time yeah Oh, we haven't brought up your your other. Now, was this ever published, or was this just a zine? See, I seem to remember the copy I saw had a nice cover on it. Was the Golden Girl the the book about the the, the Golden, Golden Girls yes. outfits? Uh, Miami, you've got style, which yes. I co-wrote. Um, that was self-published. Um, really, the only place to get that there's a zine distro called Antiquated Future. Um, you can buy copies of it there, and you can buy copies of all my other. No, no I, I've never read that one. I don't know much about the Golden Girls, but uh-huh. it's sitting in our house. I probably will read it eventually. Uh-huh. Does that have the subtext? Is it similar to uh, to the Field Guide? No, that one is is pretty up? much. That one is me and my friend. Um, just talking about every outfit that was worn during the first season. Of so Golden it's Girls. straight up, yeah. But we also don't know that much about fashion, so a lot of it ends up being about Star Trek and Dungeons yeah, and Dragons okay, and Magic so the Gathering and like goth music and. There's a surprisingly surprising amount of. Um, I'm gonna name drop my friend uh, Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, big hair metal fan, also huge Golden Girls fan. <laughs> Whenever I, I talked to him, I was talking to him about this book, you know, coming out and uh, and the how to talk to your cat book. But then when I brought up the Golden Girls, he was just like, "I want a copy of that book, really?" <laughs> they go through every episode. That's what it says, dude. He's from Boston. Yeah, that must have been a massive undertaking. <laughs> just the first season. Just oh, okay. First, yeah. So, and okay. Luckily, so I came in. There's I, room I for sequels in, is yeah, what we're saying. That one. The, my, my writing partner on that one has gotten out of the Zine game, so there's not going to be any sequels on that one, unfortunately. But, <laughs> Despite um, massive public uh, yeah. demand. Yeah. Um, but no, that was a lot of fun to write. Um, I did that one. Um, I did uh, some... I have a food review zine series called My Complicated Relationship with Food. Um, my last one I put out was the Family Fun Manual Volume 4 rainy day craft projects when your country for when your country has elected white supremacist who openly brags about sexually assaulting women um, all of my books have to have ludicrously long titles like, um, and that one like just looks like you know an arts and crafts book although it's just a zine and it's that was my post-election freak out zine so uh I totally forget what the question was. Here. Yeah, those are some things I wrote. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just really the um, the how to talk to your cat about gun safety and the Star Trek book are the only ones you can like get in normal. You can go stores. and get, get in the... anything else. You got to go to like a zine, like special zine places for. And that's the way it should be. Right. I, I, I love the whole. I'm glad that zines are still going. Whenever I see a zine, it takes me back to about. 1992 right <laughs> you know well you know i spent most of the last decade in portland oregon so right they're still they're still there's still places that yeah, yeah there's still you know and uh i mean i remember in rochester when the village green bookstore used mm-hmm. to be here yeah you could go down to the village green bookstore and people would have their zine you could still go to the record archive and stuff you know the record right. stores will still have there's and there's still a couple local there's there's i think there's still the 
that guy Will's still putting out the the um, uh huh oh what is it uh it isn't Rochester anymore I can't remember the name of his zine but he's gone national with it right <laughs> Teen uh, Set Outsider Teen Set Outsider yes it's not now now it's not Rochester Teen Set Outsider it's like yeah. National Teen Set Outsider yeah. <laughs> so he's um, expanded yeah, I his into, I ran into him but um, at Savers all the time. Um, he's a big savers shopper. He was back when they had one in Henrietta. Um, yeah, there's still no. I really like. I was, the other day, I was think. I just out of the blue, I I remembered this book that I read when I was a teenager that I'm sure you're probably familiar with, High Weirdness by Mail. Oh yes, by the Reverend Ivan Stang. Yes, one of my um, formative books, actually. Yeah, yeah, mine, mine as well. And I like, I just out of the blue, I remember that book. I'm like, wow, how much did that book influence me? Because I haven't thought about it in 20 years. Have you ever heard of the Laszlo letters? Yes. Between the between High Weirdness and by Mail, Laszlo letters I read as a little kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, a good chunk of my art. Right. Influence came from those two things. Right. You know? So, yeah, I, you know, I love the idea of, like, people, like, stumbling across the Star Trek books and being like, what, what's up with these? I don't understand, like, what these are doing in this world. And I think about, like, the stuff I was reading about in High Weirdness by Mail. And, you know, I pick, you know, I... I still want to recommend it. that book to people, but yeah. it almost doesn't work. At, you know, I'll, right? It doesn't. You right. know, have even to say when it. I was reading it, like all those places were like, you know, long since I'm... gone. Um, but yeah, you know, I think about like, like the old like VHS tape trading scenes yeah. and like the stuff, like the weird stuff you would find. And you know, I remember speaking of Tool, um, trading for a copy. Uh, a performance from Maynard from Tools, like first band, Children of Anachronistic Dynasty, where he's performing like half of his body is like, you know, hyper-masculine, the other one is hyper-feminine. It's like recorded from like a Wichita cable access show oh my in the God. 80s. And like, like getting that, like this is the coolest thing ever. And now I can just look it up on YouTube. Yeah. There's nothing, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like magical yep. about it. Yeah, anymore. I remember. I remember somebody finally, and this is actually associated through High Weirdness by Mail because it was a friend of the author of it who made the video, but it was uh, the farting preacher, it, you know. Way it, it, I always look at that stuff as the internet trying to happen mm -hmm. without the technology. Right. It was the internet before the technology, but so he he taken a bunch of footage of the uh, TV preacher Robert Tilton. Uh -huh. who did a lot of squinting right. and grunting and put farts in different. Uh -huh. And nowadays there's a million videos like that on YouTube that you can just go and like pop through. But this one, you would hear a, t you'd hear a story about it. Oh, there's the funniest thing. It's Robert Tilton, but he's farting. What, what the right. hell is this? And then finally, um, I, I had a girlfriend and I had a landlord that were involved in that whole zine videotape trading mm -hmm. scene. So they would... Well, we finally, you know, we got a box full, so here's Farting Preacher, and we'll watch it, and it was it was hilarious, and, you know, with 50 other zines in there by other people who were in, like, I remember the landlord finding out that he made zines by, we, we moved in, and I went up into the attic, and his studio was still up in the attic, and there were just thousands of high school yearbooks that he cut out every single portrait on uh -huh. them, and then taking those portraits and 
divide it, you like cut them horizontally, uh -huh. probably about twenty or thirty times each time. So you'd have a eye, mm -hmm. you know, and he cut it all on sec, you know, lining up to the face, and then he did a whole magazine where he would re put them back together randomly. So That's it was really all weird. people's faces randomly put uh -huh. together meticulously, hundreds of them. Uh -huh. And he had little little tiny boxes, hundreds of little tiny boxes where it was like each numbered and right. it was each segment. So you would have segment one, segment uh -huh. two, segment three, and then put them all together and then would photocopy them and send them out. Right. And that was his, you know, it might be just something that's, you know, to cover that obsessive compulsive part of your brain right. that tells you you have to do something cut right. up a bunch of faces uh -huh. and put them back together it makes you feel happy doing it right do it, right. Do it. And, and then it goes out there but whatever his reason for doing it he was a very soft-spoken uh -huh. introverted person so he wasn't really saying why but you know that 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 was a fascinating scene and yeah it's it's been Either you could either say it's been wiped out or enhanced now by the internet, but it's been right. changed completely to the point of where, you know, when people are talking about stuff being viral or a mm -hmm. meme or, and stuff like that, that's all sort of what was going on before, but now it's in the public parlance. Right. And, and weird, you know, YouTube videos, people do these weird little YouTube videos of just their quirkiness and people will watch them obsessively mm -hmm. and it's become mainstream now it's it's very strange right yeah but it's i i kind of miss it i kind of miss like you know stumbling you, you still find stuff nowadays but right. it's, it's not the same where you'd well, stumble that's... upon something and then you would be like this is the greatest thing ever i have no idea who made it right no idea why they made it you know if if you're lucky you might catch a glimpse of them you know uh -huh coming in in their dark overcoat and dropping off a few zines at the right that's I mean that's what I've always wanted to do and have been trying to do my whole life is that weird like the stuff that makes people like what is this weird thing I found like, whether it's the how to talk to your cat about gun safety or the Star Trek books or even back when I was doing the the bunnies here in Rochester um there's still yeah. bunny. I, I still see a few bunnies on my bike route. Yeah. Still stuck. stuck there's still up some people there. putting them up. Uh, I, I mean, there's still some bunnies that probably there's still some faded. Oh wow. Old uh -huh. bunnies that I, that every time I stop at that stoplight, I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was at the same time that I had my public access show where I was was basically on it as a puppet rabbit. So it was uh -huh. just sort of yes, it was sort of bunny. I it was that. sort of bunny time in Rochester. Yeah. And then, and then Ed, what was it? Ed the Bunny or not Ed the Bunny? It was uh, Greg the Bunny came yes. on TV. It was just like, what's going on with r bunnies, bunnies and rabbits yeah. these days? I, I also just found out one of my favorite musicians is also bunny obsessed and has now started raising bunnies. Hmm. So there's something about rabbits and bunnies. Yeah. I think and we, our, I think we like sort of like jump started like a weird zeitgeist thing it's probably it's probably us yeah did it. yeah yeah sure it was it was all all our responsibility no i have a conspiracy theory about how greg the bunny came from you know he was on public access here and then if you watch the first episode of greg mm -hmm. the bunny greg the bunny replaces another puppet rabbit 
I that remember, looked like my public rabbit. Yeah, I remember Trudy talking about He was a white rabbit, back in and the day. white rabbit was named Rochester. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they had Eugene Levy was saying, oh, yeah, well, we did a lot of research by watching public access TV. Right. And so that was my conspiracy theory. Years later, I find out, actually, Greg the Bunny was on public access TV years oh. before me <laughs> doing similar stuff. So I guess I, I guess I pulled it out of the zeitgeist uh-huh. behind Greg the Bunny. But I, I, funny. I like the story where he ripped me off yeah. better. All right. I think uh, we've covered... Uh, 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 about all we all yeah, we need to I cover. Think, yeah. Um, I'm thinking now maybe we might have to have you on sometime again for our food podcast. Maybe. Um, food food zine. My 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 food zines are mostly about how I don't like food. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Right. That that the it's cheeses. The podcast is There's about too many food. types of cheese. Yeah, it's about food. So I'll it doesn't have to be about how you love food. It could be about how you. We hate don't food. need more than four types of berries. Um, <laughs> red delicious apples. That's a lie. They are they are not delicious at all. <laughs> they are red. They are red. Yeah, I'll give them that part. But yeah, no, but yeah, I'm always down for talking about how much I don't like food. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. We're gonna we'll do a handshake yes. that nobody can uh, see. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time something awesomely star trek happens oh actually this is a day after a new star trek tv series started but ah whatever we got a new book yeah that's the important thing (laughs) i I like books better than tv anyway thank you very much thank you for being on everybody go buy the book on amazon if you shop at amazon.com please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.